So welcome to the eighth episode of the Hashish Inn. I'm your host, Sharagam Amir. Today, I wanted to welcome both Danny and Pepe from Ogre Farms, based out of Los Angeles, California. If you want to follow them on Instagram, you can follow them at Ogre Farms. That's O-G-R-E Farms. And at Ogre Resins as well. Yeah. And that's, again, O-G-R-E-R-E-S-I-N-S. Thank you both for coming on and giving me your time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, man. Pretty cool. Pretty cool that you considered us to do it. Yeah, for sure. As always, I know people are usually extremely busy. So, you know, I appreciate you kind of giving me the middle of the day today. I'm sure you'd have work that you'd be doing right now. On that note, like, I'm curious if we weren't doing this interview, what would you typically be doing at this moment? Lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Probably eating lunch, but yeah, we were just joking about that before. But washing for sure, definitely, and like either sieving or washing because it's the it's pretty limited space, and it's just one dryer. And right now, so and which I try to keep kind of flowing when we can, basically, you know. And so, probably washing. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a it's a delicate dance with one dryer. You know, just trying to keep it keep things going. Yeah, I mean, hopefully I've, soon we'll get the second one. You so you are planning to add a second one? Yeah, it, well, the space thing kind of planning right now. It's obviously an option, but we've just been you know, it's surprising how much you can actually put in a fridge dryer actually in those pans <laughs> if you're careful and you just do the right wash. You know, you do enough washes. Kind of surprising, so. Yeah, I've seen, you know, those trays, they're not small. And the resin, even though it's wet and it's like a big kind of globby wet mass, right. it seems like the trays are still pretty thick almost. And so there's a good yeah, amount of like, like layering. Like thick sometimes almost. Yeah. Like you can get it. Do you think like in any way that affects the drying of the resin like do you guys try to do like a like a real thin coat any t- have you ever tried that I try the thinner the better of course when I can but like, and then a lot of times so the the dance he was saying is just that like and maxing out basically is hard so because you need to do as much but preferably the same material you know to do things like that and so it does take longer basically yeah the, the machine just dries based on how it dries I mean sorry based on how much is in it it's how long it'll basically take, basically. The whole entire, and the patty, the thickness of the patties totally matters, too, of course. But at the same time, which I just like the idea of closing the thing up and having it run and do its, to do a good amount of hash and at one time. I don't think it affects it as long as you don't overdrive material. And you can check it, obviously, throughout the cycle when you want. Yeah. Start to get a little bit of a feel of like, oh, I, I kind of know I can check it now and most of it's going to be done. And, just only drive whatever's like really right and we were talking just a little earlier about how you guys kind of individually and then together have both kind of ran bubble hash over the years and you've done some of the kind of more traditional tech when it comes to drying including air drying microplaning and some sieving as well yeah and i'm curious what you think about this kind of new tech that i think i'm pretty sure it came from cuban where they're doing the sieved kind of version of the machine dried hash vacuum dried is that what you've heard yeah the vac dry have you tried that at all or I haven't had a chance to try that but 
it seems like it has a beautiful texture, and from what I've read online, people are liking the texture of it. It looks like it would obviously melt amazing. I think maybe the flavor could be better too. Maybe they're like the the turf retention on it, like just maybe delicate the process of doing on it more, rather than the whole you know freeze drying process is just freezing it maybe a lot deeper, you know, rather than getting right to the drying. Right. But uh, I think it seems amazing. I don't know, just like really good quality, like sieving hash more again, sieving it again. Yeah, seems great rather than having to leave it in whatever chunk it's in with water and. I don't know exactly. Because people have been trying to explain to me. Yeah, we've both been busy yeah, <laughs> like, the last few weeks, and I've yeah. seen Cuban experimenting with that and the screens on top of the trays so that the air can basically flow underneath and speed the drying as well. Right. But I just haven't had a chance to catch up on it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it seems like, you know, he's getting the response that he wants out of it. You know, it, it definitely, I, I caught bits of it. It seemed like it was helping the drying rate didn't seem to be affecting the quality, which is pretty cool because you can then get a lot more washes in, kind of maybe do some smaller test washes. That's a little bit, that's where some of the challenges I think come in with finding good material is going through the whole process with a small amount of material because more or less it's kind of the same amount of work. I mean, unless you have a way to, at least for us, unless we, unless you have a way to kind of set everything up, you know, for the test wash, kind of everything that you need separate from your regular workflow, I guess, it kind of takes over your workflow. So I, I don't know exactly how other people do it, but just from what we have going on, like when someone presents us with, you know, hey, you want to wash 400 grams or something for us, we have something that we want to check out. So, you know, if we can, we do it, but that would be kind of cool if, if you can at least kind of speed up the drying process, maybe do a couple test washes and just kind of get them out and hours possibly from based on the numbers that I saw from what like he was doing full trays in like I think six or eight hours maybe maybe less yeah and normally it was taking like 24 or yeah generally at least a day I mean, depending on how much you put in there yeah. and some people have the larger machines with, I mean, we don't have the largest machine there are ways to get a lot of material in the machine basically and like Pepe was saying the longer you run it I think some of the outside temps might also affect it if it's warmer, it may dry faster, but may not necessarily be what we want. So we try to keep the room just as cold when the dryer is running, even though the hash inside obviously is sub-zero frozen. Right. Helps the machine run too, I think, to not battle these like temps, like if you keep saying. The, I think the process is just, I've told people, I've told people a lot actually when they're like, People have kind of, a couple of people lately have asked me or over the months have been, so they're building a room or whatever and and I recommend that they put their machine inside their cold room, you know, I've seen multiple people recommend that, Cuban, like you brought up, that whole process is the back chamber is in a cold room, obviously. I think it originally back in the hash church days, it was, he was using an AI, like an across international oven and just doing, leaving it off in a cold room and doing like, I don't know, maybe maybe in a variation of what he's doing now basically, but I do remember him talking about that and putting up pictures back then and it was with an AI and cold space and everything. But so what I'm saying about that is that the same idea I think goes for the free dryer basically. And then if it's battling these temps, it's not gonna do the process to sublimate like the water right out of it. Everything has to be like cold, cold and the 
it's basically just a freezer and the compressors are running to beat whatever temperature's outside, you know, so if it, you give it that bigger step, it seems to run faster. I've seen Diafunk talk about it a few times in all his posts before about keeping it in what he keeps his dryer temps at, what he was being really specific and helpful in spreading information and stuff. He put that in there too, the temperatures of what his room at was at and what his, you know, some of his drying in hours and things like that. It affects it for sure. Yeah. You can kind of like overdo it too, for sure. Like at the wrong, because the machine has different temperature settings and the, and tray settings, you know, temperatures for the trays. And so it seems like you could ideally like have a, you just have like a, a window where you really want it at kind of. In anything, it seems like in any sort of vacuum or cold environment or whatever, like even if you're air drying, you can see like you obviously want to get it in that window before it over dries and starts to just not taste that great and just tastes like old hash they left out somewhere. Even if you left in your fridge, it's still like so do you some think sort of like quality, you know? By over drying it, you start losing more terpenes, or I think that's maybe the first thing it goes, I think maybe, but like, you really have to try kind of. Over-dry it. I don't know. I don't know if I've just if we've just had good luck with it or something. I don't know, but it seems to be kind of hard to like totally mess it up. I don't know. I think the most common mistake probably is not so much a length of time, but the shelf temperature. Yeah. Right. So the temperatures just basically exposing the resin to to higher temperatures, which obviously speeds the the drying, but. And by higher, what would you say that number is for you? I wonder. I think it'll print. I think it'll have like 50 or 60. It comes like. I mean, we know people that are, you know, run or anything like that, but depending on what your room is. No, I mean, but the shelf temperature, I think, is like 75 degrees or something. It comes from the factory at a very high temperature, which doesn't seem to have an issue with things like food. I'm always joking with him. We should. Should make some <laughs> some freeze dried food. I'm like, well, why not? Um, I've always lied, and I've always joked and been like, when I die, we can put anything else by hash in there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it definitely seems like the company is definitely helpful, but out of the box, it's definitely set up for food. So we know people that have, I think, even our, our very first, very, very first wash, the, the shelf temp was a bit high, possibly. I also didn't see, like, a lot of different things. Well, I think I was brand it a bunch of times before with some of our material we saved to like do test runs with the first time, which I'd recommend to everybody, like if you put everything together. It just like save some old material of some sort, even if it's not gonna give you anything that you want to smoke, just like do a mock run with that. And yeah, I think at first that was kind of, it was a little, obviously, yeah, it comes from design for food, so it wasn't exactly right, but play with it. And people were cool to, on Instagram and friends and forums and different things like that, Googling things it's like yeah I use this and the company themselves <laughs> oddly enough has was say oh yeah you're a hash guy <laughs> yeah but one sec we'll wait for our engineer like the tech guy eventually and he told me he's like oh yeah you just I was like oh I thought so but I needed I, it was funny because my question was very technical it was like I need to be able to change the shelf temp for what I'm doing so what do you do told him I was doing he said, yeah, you definitely do. I said, well, I can't change it because it's a new program because they had just gotten, they just changed this program to a new one. I'm like, well, you can't change it. Like, or, or no, it was a dry time, I think it was actually was. Uh, the freeze time, that's what it was. I was yeah. trying to change freeze time and you could do pretty much everything else, I think. I was trying to change freeze time and I told him what I was doing. He's like, well, yeah, you basically, 
that's what you want to do from what I've heard. But yeah, you're gonna need this new program which voids your pump. <laughs> like the warranty of your pump from them. Yeah. Which I've heard is like the problematic thing for like but yeah, so anyways they told me they sent me the other software, they're cool about doing that, so just be aware if anybody wants to get a freeze dryer from them, make sure you can change your freeze time, I guess, because that prolongs the time it's in there. It just does the first cycle it does, it just freezes the damn thing like solid. Like so whatever you want to do and based on your room temps again and the battling all these outside temps and not and you can dial it into what you want, basically. And that's why it's hard I, I thought people were just being vague before. Anytime they gave me hash tips, they were just like being vague because it was like whatever works for you, where you're at and what you're doing time it's like not just like a recipe just like a plug-in thing and like every single time and depending on like the resume sometimes on how long it dries and you just know they're like this one's gonna be a pain in the ass and it doesn't want to dry because of how it sticks together and this one just beautiful or something is wants you to see it yeah i mean even in those instances where machines are being used to dry it it's like the greasiness and the kind of texture of the trichome always still plays a big role, you know, in, in, in that case. It's just kind of funny how it translates, whether it's your hair drying it or pack drying it. Yeah, yeah. freeze dry. So, <laughs> I notice people have a very good intuition as they get better at making hash, you know, basically. They're just, there's like, I love this resin, I love that, and that has dawned on me so much over the last, like, year or so. And, and like, wow, like I love working with this. Every single like working with another cultivar comes around again from somebody, and I'm just like, wow, I'm not gonna have fun. Like, I just be when I got it, I'm like, last time this wasn't fun, this time it's not fun. Like, the second it hits the bag, it's just like, oh, my work's a little harder today. Like, exponentially hard. You just gotta pick up the pace, make sure you're not like messing up the temperature in your environment, make sure everything's super cold. Right. And then you just make yourself a sticky, shitty situation really fast, you know, like forget something, whatever. It's interesting because there there aren't a lot of hash makers, I guess, that have been, that originally started air drying and continually kind of put out product and then transitioned to freeze drying. There are a few, but at least for us, we were kind of lucky enough to meet higher ground. Yeah. if you know him yeah from Northern California yeah, yeah. We, we got to meet him a few times and you know hang out and exchange like conversation and that was pretty unique because he was putting out some excellent melts of the KC36 is yeah that was a amazing beautiful profile yeah and he was putting that out air dried and then transitioned to freeze dried and so it was pretty interesting I think resin extracts was another one that I was exposed to that made the transition from air dry to freeze dry. Resin is from here in Los yeah, Angeles as well? California, yeah, okay. Yeah, so that was just that was just pretty interesting to see, you know, the some of the early people. Sometimes, you know, it wasn't perfect, but I think there was a lot more criticism about it than was due. You know, maybe there were some some people that were just very diehard in the way that they wanted to do things and you know, that's fine. That exists everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean some people will adapt, some people won't and I mean, sure. Whatever I guess the the market will do because it it'll kind of weed people out if people don't adapt and people move on to what you know they wanting different things. I or, mean, I think the conver- like if you want to parallel it to growing, it's yeah. sort of a con- the same conversation as um, you know like hand watering versus irrigation. You know, it's 
some sort of automated controlled process versus, you know, something not random. You know, maybe there's some tools you can use, maybe a moisture meter or something like that that can help you determine that your hash is actually dry. And I'm not saying that, I'm not criticizing anybody's methods. I'm just, that's my mindset. It's kind of FBA's mindset also to try to understand what we're doing, kind of the same way in the, in the garden. Though we've actually been hand watering for a long time, we're actually going to finally make the transition to still water. We're still doing soil and nothing's changing there, but we're just going to apply the water through automation, you know, just so we know how much water is being applied and how it's being evenly distributed and at intervals that we can control. It's, you know, I don't know, it's it's a kind of constant debate. The, sometimes the the fact that things don't happen exactly the same time every time might create some nuance too. You know, there may be some unique qualities about air-dried hash because, and again, we don't know if the freeze dryer works exactly the same way every time, but there's some nuance and things like that, theoretically, from... Yeah, for sure. Like, some of our air-dried hash was, like, really good before. Yeah, the, the THC bomb, i say, was definitely, yeah. like... Which, the one that keyed us into being, like, we can make ice oil, and it could be like this. And we had no real, and it was, like, microplane and air-dried and, and a walk-in, basically refrigerator it's kind of the best the access that I had at the time and just that was just a cool experience just being able to air dry hash basically probably just you know looking back on it of course at the time we were probably wishing we could have a free dryer and then brought sift that was a huge thing before even like we were getting sift from some of our early like Ellie Cherry and like yeah we had some great pile of G actually that um, was interesting because a bunch of sift that we were for a long time, we've been trying to actually collect strains that essentially we believed would be good for hash. We started by kind of going through them for flower rosin. There's some similar well, behavior in we our- We were making flour. We were just growing for flour and we would just yeah. want to have hash and take dabs and we weren't gonna, we were already committed to like smoking solventless sure. because of, or even earlier than that, I was nerding out on it and made some sift while I was still making BHO still. And then so we sit, did some, we tried to make some other stuff and ended up doing sip. There was rosin already just springing up. So we were just squishing anything we could to get anything. We we're already completely addicted to like all these smoking solventless, obviously. So I think that's what really led us to find hash cultivars. You know, like just anything that has resin was more important to us. Anything that has good resin, no, you know, any. And those strains that we love to smoke is flour we were getting, but unfortunately some of them just would wash or I guess flour rosin at the time was really good. It's a really good like sign of them, it's, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of a little bit of a test in a way. You yeah. know, things that are kind of have a, a terpene profile that results in sort of a very runny oil generally produces a lower yield overall and we kind of knew that was not going to translate to good hash yield. So you know, we would keep things like that around for a little bit and then let, let them go. I know we let go of some things that are good in hash over the years, you know, trying to get them back here and there. By accident or by just circumstance? Uh, or? Mostly by, we haven't had too many accidents, mostly bugs. Okay. Um, yeah, that's an issue for, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's been a major learning experience. So one of the reasons it was challenging to make this transition was because on like on the heels of the decision was the fact that we had had some like some rocky 
runs and some needs to clean house a couple times and you know it wasn't like we were a make it or break it kind of situation but it was a it was a risk you know and of course it seems to have been a good decision definitely but anyway yeah we were looking at different strains and we you know remarked about how you know when you trim on the tray like we had those trim trays with the SIP screens in them it's 150 micron or so, maybe 180. The trim bins or yeah, what they're called? Trim bins, maybe it's LPI. I don't recall, but it's a large micron size, not not, not any specific. Doesn't produce clean sift, but farmers good. Yeah, like balanced farmers grade. We'd ask people not to like kind of agitate it, just like just trim. Basically, like just within an hour, you lift the trim bin and you know, okay, this this is a new strain that we're growing. Let's see what what it does. And then when there's a bunch of sift underneath and it looks white like naturally falling through close like, that's like weight to fall through basically it just the heads were breaking off on their own and then you know like now as we're doing takedowns of new strains that we've never you know we at this point we're not really growing things that we know or that we don't know about you know that we're, we're growing things that we know are going to produce the profiles and the type of you know yields in, in the good microns and you know first wash heads anyway i mean even when they're wet and you're just debunking there's heads just breaking off we're trying hard not to have them break off and they're just breaking off on the parchment you can feel it um, so, like almost so there's like a lot of ways to tell i think before you commit you know to washing everything it goes back to what i was saying with the testing and things like that there's other methods we've learned through the community about kind of testing things like doing a little mini wash in a, in a mason jar, you know, just to see the behavior of the heads. It doesn't tell you much about the profile or really any, not a lot, but you can see if the heads are mechanically separating, basically. Yeah. And then we'll keep, like, some GMO around just to keep, uh, like, a control, like a benchmark that we know, okay, this GMO did whatever percent last time, so. Yeah, it's interesting how that strain has become, like, a benchmark. <laughs> Yeah, it has become a benchmark, and you know, it'll be interesting to see. Like, I talked to Jibs recently, and we were talking about how, like, at what point is that going to max out? You know, and is that already maxed out? I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see the genetics. I mean, I've heard from some people that it is, but then you know, now a few months later, from the same people, I hear that it's not, and I think it really kind of goes. It's one of those strains that's hard to get. Hard, really hard to get sick of because it's so strong and it's very like pungent, aromatic. You know, one of those like I'm like OG. Like I know I have some friends that hate OG because they've grown up around it and they don't even like it anymore and they're tired of it. Lived in like Southern California their whole lives. So that's kind of rare actually, but but for the most part, everybody likes. You pull out some really good OG, anything like flour or really good hash. You know, they're good. People are going to be like, oh, great, I love that. It doesn't matter how much you've gotten of it. Right. So I feel like it's it's going to be one of those. It just has a something to it, you know? There's something about it, I think, like OG, that it, it just seems to almost transcend, like, tolerance. You know, like, I mean, you still get tolerant to it, but it definitely carries a lot of potency with a lot of distinct flavor. Usually right. the thing, a lot of times those things don't go hand in hand. Yeah, it has a lot of the components that, you know, makes something a good hash strain, right? Like it's strong, right? It's tasty, whether you like the profile or not. You know, that's a 
personal right. choice, I think. And it produces incredibly well in water hash. Right. And so, I mean, like, what's not to like about it? I don't know about how it is growing, you know, and I know, so Ogre Farms is like, you guys are growing, right? And you're also processing your own single source material. And additionally, you're processing other farms material. And you mentioned the word earlier when we were talking about that, that you are curating essentially yeah. what you're working with. And so, you know, when I first asked, which by the way, shout out to Mitchell again, Hashdrip on Instagram, he kind of linked us up, you know, he guys, he knows you guys. And uh, so he's, he facilitated this. So I appreciate that from him. But, and I don't mean to put you really like on the spot or anything, but when I first reached out to you guys about this, he told me, and then you told me, Pepe, that your initial reaction to being asked to like being interviewed was, I don't know if we're cool enough. And then you kind of cleared up totally. the fact that by that you meant that you felt like you weren't seasoned enough or long enough recognized. And I want to ask you like, what does that statement really say about how you guys or what your outlook is on, on yourselves within the context of like your craft? I feel like it's just, you know, I have a lot of respect for people who do it on a larger scale. First of all, you know, it takes a lot of effort. <laughs> like we both have like careers that we've been involved with previous that are not related to cannabis at all. We have families to take care of. Like, I just think it's a huge undertaking to like, you know, <laughs> do on a large scale sometimes. So I think it's, because we've been doing it on a smaller scale for so long, maybe I've been in that mindset, you know, for a really long time. But yeah, I don't know. It's, and it's happened so quick too. Before, if you've been a lot of recognition, like I, mean, I don't know. I guess it's because we've had a chance to put some more effort into it. But it's right away paid off by people just giving us a lot of good feedback and just I always tell people a lot of times like, just let me know what you think. You know, feed, you know, I like good and be good and bad feedback, both alike. You know, you gotta tell me so. And I feel like that's a, I guess it's starting to, to, to show, you know, dividends now, a lot of work you put in, but it's still just clicking, you know I mean? Like, dude, yesterday, Cuban shouted us out on Instagram because I gifted him a gram through Mitchell. He was nice enough to give him an everything because I've just thought it was super cool a long time. I'm half Cuban and like, I thought it was always cool. Like, yeah, you know, just the guy like makes a bunch of fire sift and I started to do sift probably only because of that guy in Bola Man on like that's probably what started me on this whole thing probably you know like getting a one batch of I was making BHO back then I was a lot younger and like one batch particularly of some OG that I got a good got from a good friend basically yielded actually it's my good friend Gabe he's on Instagram his name's what we do known him for a very long time great dude and basically the sift was amazing it just like stuck all in the this container he gave me he's like can I do something with this and I like cleaned it up and it turned into just like a rock and it was just full metal you just dab it up. and I was like freaking out about it I you know at the time I just had it it was cold it was a winter here at the time everything kind of lined up for me to do it but I think that's kind of what started me off so I think it was great to give him this gram and be like thanks man like whatever and he, he seemed to be like happy to be appreciated so like I think that's the type of thing I mean, you know what I mean? People have put in hardcore work and time to like make 
have like moved to different states. Like I'm originally from here. I'm just from LA. I'm, I think we're pretty spoiled to a certain degree. You know what I mean? Yeah, be here already. Yeah, I mean that is a nice start for sure. And Danny, you were telling me earlier you're also from California, Southern California. Yeah, yeah. I was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley, so I got a pretty early exposure to mids, and then the quality cannabis that would come around more and more as we got older. But either from OG in LA or from people that we knew that were up in Humboldt or from here going up to Humboldt. So that's kind of how I was initially exposed to these things. And I don't know when, when you're a young kid to even be at that point kind of differentiates you from other people that are just, I don't know, just interested in more maybe on the surface level. So I, I mean, I've been, I've had a passion for this plant for a long time. So we were talking before we started and I was saying that although our like formal entry to the hash making market is new, you know, we've been, we've had our eye on things that could get us to this point for a long time. You know, we're maybe directly, maybe indirectly just trying to keep up relationships with people that are like-minded and kind of hope things happen organically, you know, which we, Sometimes when you meet new people, you kind of really have to figure out what's going on and, you know, what all they're offering you. You know, this community is very open. You know, people are very personable, but, you know, there's who knows what, you know, the motives are that maybe behind what they're doing. It's like anything else. You know, it's it's a good. I think we had a good start, a good, like, yeah. push in the right direction with, like, we early on got them pure certified. Yeah, and shout uh, out Dragonfly Earth Medicine. Yeah, totally. Great people, like, you know, people really took actually out of their time, you know, to help, like, certify us and everything. And I think through Instagram and having that network of people, we kind of already were, you know, communicating with. Danny's really great about, like, making, you know, informational posts and talking with people and DMs before, before anybody, I think, ever cared about us making hash at all or even our flower. I think it was, like... I think just the fact that we were doing weird stuff, bringing soil inside and growing living soil, and you know, that was still pretty new at the time. You know, it was basically no till and KNF. And I mean, it's still all pretty new. You know, all the time, like people ask me, you know, where where are these places that are producing, you know, cannabis with living soil or water only, you know, indoors. Luckily, I have a short list of people that I can, I can pretty quickly forward them to look at because they definitely exist. But unfortunately, there's not as many as we would like to see. But fortunately, there are people that are, people are, you know, getting more aware of it. Like anything, there's, I think, Absolutely. companies like Build a Soil did, you know, kind of an amazing thing to bundle a lot of these type of growing methods into ways that people who would normally just go to the store, to the hydro store, and buy some bottles that their friend told them to buy and have kind of mediocre results. They kind of facilitated this transition to something that is more beneficial to the environment overall. I mean, as long as people use it, right? <laughs> if you buy shit and don't use it, it's a total waste, but which happens a lot with growing and things like that. So I think they provide a really simple system which helped a lot of smaller people people like us, you know, we were 
when we talked to Dragonfly, we were, were probably still the smallest farm, basically, that's certified by them through their pure farming program. You know, we're not trying to be the, the biggest. And so, you know, it's, it's, they just, the more you, you know, put out good hash, the more you get people growing organically in small tents and seeing that they can produce a pretty good product. You know, it still requires care. And sometimes you just get lucky and things just go great. You know, you just water it and everything pops off wonderfully. But, but yeah, it's great to just kind of propagate those positive products, you know, melts that are clean and just kind of be transparent with what we're doing. One of the big, most common feedback that we get from people is the way we label our hash. That comes from the quality, you know, curated for the flower to the same thing you can, you know. Yeah, so I mean like- Based on that, we grade it, you know. We keep like logs about our runs and to, to learn, you know, we might get the same material from other people or the same material from the same people or ourselves. You know, we like to run at least one strain back to back so you can get some kind of, some kind of comparison, try to learn something cool. But yeah, like I, I'm not sure why, I'm not sure why people, why it's not as common to just kind of say what it is. It used um, to be. I think, yeah, I think it very much used to be, you know, there was like, I remember getting something from pretty much anybody would, you know, yeah, higher ground stuff had it, all kinds of stuff had it. Like I remember anything you get, what was it from one time? Maybe it was rosin that often didn't have no. That was a new thing. I think it's its own entity, rosin now, how most people kind of feel about it. But with that, it's brought this trend of like not labeling. And that's where we, I think what he means too, like I think people are cool with us labeling, like I'll label your mouth. But like we've had a couple of people be like, why are you labeling this rosin? Like it's a couple like who are obviously like only getting questions from other people about it. And they, you know, they need to answer them. Right. Maybe asking us and whatever. But because we just want to be transparent and just keep it like hash, like rosin, love to know what went into your rosin. So, you know, and you can, we all know you can make rosin, you know, lighter or, you know, even better tasting sometimes that, you know, by people having different cultivars and mixing them or something, you know, like I'm sure you could make things. I'm not saying anybody does things, honestly, or anything. I'm just, just cool to have it on there. Fair enough, you know, I think people who are nerding out and buying like hash, that's you know, quality and expensive, you know, and they're, they feel like they're a connoisseur. They're going to put, you know, they want to know about it. If you bought a really nice bottle of beer, like there's a nice explanation on it of like what everything went in it. Funny enough, there's not actually regulations for beers, like to include the ingredients, but there isn't for hash either. I mean, and there's not, we could go much further to say how it was grown and everything. I feel like that's should be important. I used to like labeling that, like especially in posts, like this was in living soil, so people can just know, you know, that we just... So are you saying, am I understanding this correctly, you're saying that people have actually, in a way, almost complained that it had the information? Yeah, a couple times almost, because it seems like it confuses who they're either dealing with or themselves or their, how they smoke it, they're just like... I think the biggest thing is it's just, it's not what is most common on the market, so then there are just questions that arise. You know, what, like, you know, what is what, too what wash am I smoking? What you is know, that? What is what do you guys? Well, and we're like, wash am I smoking? If it doesn't say, you know, like you know. To be honest, in the long run, 
that's good for you because you guys run a small farm, like you said. From what I've seen and tried, everything has been fire. I mean, like, it literally just looks like water in the container, even, you know? And so I think educating people would only benefit guys like you who are just have such a hands-on approach, it seems like, to the process that you're able to produce a quality resin that almost nobody else can produce at a maybe bigger scale. And, you know, I have a bunch of questions for you guys. One is going back to the Dem Pure thing. You know, there's a podcast that I like, the podcast. I don't know if you guys have ever checked it out. Yeah, it's this guy, Heavy Days. He's a pretty cool interviewer and he does like breeders usually. And the other day I heard his latest one and it was with uh, Kelly and Josh. Mm-hmm from Dragonfly and you know I was curious because of something I heard there and then something that you know I saw that you guys have that on your page and we talked about it but they said on there that and I don't know when this interview was honestly but I guess indoor farms were something that I guess either was like really new to them or so do you know at what point they started like certifying indoor farms and can you talk about a little bit like of the process of going through that like did you deal with them directly or how does that work basically i contacted them and after we spoke i think one or two times they they felt that it's a peer validated certificate essentially so they felt compelled to continue the process at that point so they contacted another then pure farmer who was local to us i think at the time there was maybe one or two others and actually i looked back there I mean, they were within an hour or two away. Not in Los Angeles. There was maybe one other in, like, the Inland Empire. I kind of just meant they're not, like, paid to do this either. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's, it's so, like, we haven't been contacted since then to certify anybody else, but, you know, we'll be happy to do it if we're chosen to do so. But essentially, so someone came out, they checked out our garden, we were pretty deep in flower at the time, and, you know, they looked at everything talked about what we've been doing, try to understand some of our intentions. They had, you know, some paperwork that outlined some of the specific things that you need to be doing, kind of at least, I think it was two or three of the different criteria, like growing food on the premise or having like closed-loop practices, you know, where you're reusing things. There's a number of different criteria that you can do to sort of be eligible. And then essentially, you know, that individual went back to them, they had a conversation, and then it took some time, a few months. They, I know they traveled, they were traveling at the time, doing some work in Eastern Asia, I think. And yeah, that's basically how how we got it. And, you know, they do a lot of work in the community. You know, over, through all these years, you know, they try to support the plant tremendously, you know, and support farmers to kind of keep a lot of the like the biointelligence of the native soil and just build microorganisms that foster natural processes and and also kind of, you know, sharing information between different farmers, you know, over the years and various issues. Like a lot of people, this was a hot topic, so I'm not going to go into the drama associated, but just as an example, at some point people really enjoyed and still do throwing malted grains on their soil 
and you know dragonfly through experiences through a relationship they had with an indoor farm basically found that that was causing potential microbial growth of pathogens i mean it's it's not really a debatable topic i mean that type of stuff catalyzes all microbes it's kind of the same concepts that exist in the Korean natural farming the good and bad and you want the good to dominate but in some cases you could foster the bad to dominate and you know things like that happen in any event they they share the information like that things that you know doesn't get published like we got to see some of the actual tests for example that didn't get mentioned in the in the public forum and lately you know they've been working on genetic projects and trying to you know really protect cannabis genetics there's been a lot of players that are causing some issues in the community making people feel like things are going to go in the wrong direction and won't name any specific companies but i'm sure everyone knows yeah so it's i think it's been a worthwhile investment i certainly encourage anyone to to explore it and see if you can do it yeah the small farms too i don't i mean sorry indoor grows too i don't i'm pretty sure it was right around the time that they where we started that was over oh sorry ago. yeah that was so um, long ago that i think was. it was about 2015 2016 when we got the when we finished the process with them okay yeah. cool and yeah so it's been and they already had like i said i think two indoor farms at least in southern california they've grown you know across the country through all these medical states and canada and uh, definitely expanded their footprint yeah i think it's good to see the regenerative mindset for sure that they yeah, and they have some strict rules. Of, like, there's a lot of things you can't do. Like, hydrocarbon solvent extraction is one major thing you can't do. You know, they provide information about just just a different way of approaching things. You know, they have one manual that's really excellent related to pest management. Just talks about a lot of different approaches and focuses on the fact that you just staying aware and walking around and paying attention to things are one of the biggest things you can you know, reduce your pest risk. Just observation, you mean? Or? Yeah, literally, you know, paying attention to your plants, not be, in the sense of actually looking at them, you know, trying to maybe, you know, if you're the kind of person that has a very good photographic memory or you kind of are like really akin to remembering what one plant looks like, you know, where you can kind of recognize one cannabis plant out of the group, I'm kind of like that. I think Pepe's not exactly like that no. like but not the, as much yeah so for people who just don't think that way you can maybe like focus on scouting a specific area you know every day so maybe like every day you look at one bed just kind of look at it up and down just immerse like so that's another reason to do the irrigation so we can kind of focus more on things like that but thankfully through being careful and not really not taking in genetics very much or being very selective and careful we've pretty much been you know pretty safe on issues for well over a year now and before that we had a little stint but all that's been through action too that we've been right less we learn through every experience we learned, we've had so many and through farming organically you just a hard road of you know of no shortcuts to having a pest control problem like having any sort of solution to pest control or anything like that. It's, you have to do it the right way, the natural way. There's nothing you, you know, that, that just instantly, like your, first of all, your plants need to be able to ward off most of these things already. So it has to do with soil, like what's in your soil and your, you know, everything from pH to what your foliars are, what you like to, 
regiment, basically, in your IDM, you know, it's, it's huge because it can be like an upfront thing. You actually have test pressure and you're using your IPM to actually like combat that or you're using IPM to just literally obviously prevent that. So you just have to think about the situation. I think yeah. like you know, one thing that they yeah, say yeah. is in that pest management document, there's really no mention of spraying, you know, this, that, and the other thing every two or three days on an interval. That's not the approach. And I think a lot of people kind of take that approach, but we found that generally things that hurt pests also hurt the plants a little bit. And so if you don't have, you need to, the first thing you always need to find out is what pests you have. Because people start fighting things that, you know, they say, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And the first question is, what are you fighting? So you, that's where looking and knowing, I mean, you might, you might find like at the corner of your bed, some thrips or something. And so that approach is going to be different than, you know, if you, you shouldn't walk into your room one day and find that there are spider mites everywhere and webs on things, you know, things like that just cannot happen. Even for a small farmer who's just, just taking away time from their family to do a hobby. Right. I mean, and so. That's where the vigilance comes in really, like of looking at And if you're not in tune to it as good, you really just have to even more like just go in and look like they don't look that good, you know? Yeah. trying each day little by little which sucks because by that time there's actually a problem obviously it's hard to combat it at that part at that point but and, and I think this kind of goes a little bit into like the strains the cultivars we have and the way that we're trying to approach things now like if you're trying to have a good experience in this process don't go searching out for some clones you know for some hype strain there's so many good seeds now and you know for the last decade just go pop some seeds don't there are still some things you can transfer through seeds for the most part you know don't bring someone else's problems into your garden for a small shortcut of time and you know just there's nothing that you can do a great job on pretty much anything there's some variance there's a lot of variance you know in the different expression between each seed and all that but whatever comes out of it you can do it justice and like you know make it look great smoke great for yourself and not have you know and for other people if that's what you do but yeah i mean like we believe that you don't need sure we have gmo we have some of these things but i mean look this that strain came out like four or five years ago you know we're not chasing the latest thing to try to you know draw attention to us you know we're just trying to do things the way we want and then like kind of express it in the best way possible and hope that that just sort of attracts the attention to it that it's deserved. I mean, sometimes it's kind of a naive explanation a little bit because things don't usually go that way. You have to really like put forth effort to get the attention. But yeah, we're not trying to influence it by saying, you know, hey, look at us. We have something, you know, that someone else has. Right. Luckily, you know. We just like to do it clean and do it justice, you know, do it justice and it seems to express themselves. These cultivars seem to really express themselves amazingly in our living soil and right away, you know, you see a difference sometimes and so it's cool to get sometimes some of those strains that are doing great that we've seen that around and we're actually trying a, a big question that him and I talk about periodically is as much as we support organics and that methodology you know plants still need nutrition and it's a methodology it's not you know just throw some meals on a bed it's 
you know, sure, we, we have to adjust the minerals on the bed and things like that and to allow us to just supply water through flour. But the point of, you know, what I'm trying to make is that we, you know, that we believe in soil and everything. Oh, organics. I remember we're completely for organics, but we also understand that there are a lot of seasoned cultivators that, you know, use salts, like maybe they, I mean, some people that still use bottled nutrients, but they kind of know what they're doing. They know what the plant needs versus, you know, what bottle it needs, what actual nutrition the plant requires. And so we're, it's kind of a contested topic truly whether you know the resin comes out better yeah we do with, we, with we, are, we do we do play devil's advocate on that and we we're interested to just we're actually just do it ourselves and just run things side by side somehow but well because to get like a true t- i mean to guess to get the truest test you know you kind of have to maybe at least put it in the same room and have you know some consistency there but right now we actually happen to have some wedding cake from two different cultivators one that's in living soil and one that is in hydro cocoa pots and we've already done the hydro cocoa one and i think actually today we're going to do the organic one so it's going to be really interesting to see if there's any difference that can be observed there right even though it's a different grower and various you know there's still lots of variation but are they for example you know how you mentioned to run it at least in the same room do you know if that's the case with that resin, so... This is two different growers. I see, yeah. I see. Just same just wedding same cake cut. or... Yeah, yeah, okay. Same exact cut. And we just, you know, sometimes we see, like, certain strains, and, and we're just not sure if it's the strain. We see certain strains kind of, they'll have a lot more stalks. For example, you look at some melt kind of padded out, you try to look at it in some light, and you see a lot more stalks floating in the resin, whereas other strains, you see, there's a lot less. And sometimes that attributes to like a very clean wipe up on your banger and other times it doesn't and so we're not necessarily always sure if it's you know the cultivar you know like tropicana cookies i feel like the time we we haven't had it organically living living soil yet but all the ones we've had they've been excellent but sometimes there's a little more char than there's you just want, you know? more particularly left over in the in the in the banger um, yeah it doesn't seem to be a it's hard for me to believe, again, like nobody knows and you can't really call people out and say, oh, this is just better. But a lot of ash makers and a lot of people are just leaning towards that organic, you know, living soil makes better ash, whether it's even if it's indoor or outdoor, it seems to be nicer, louder resin, just the plant seems to express itself. So if, and this is a conversation I've had with like several people, maybe in different ways, you know, but if you can't tell the difference between growing it organically or growing it, like you said, with salts, right? Is there something to still growing it organically that you feel is beneficial? And if so, yeah. what is that, you know? Because you guys mentioned the word organics a few times. And again, from listening to the guys from Dragonfly on that podcast, it's kind of interesting their take on like what's organic, sure, right? And organic has, I think, taken on a very different meaning and maybe more of like a commercial meaning than anything else i mean it's a it's a we're just i was just explaining this to someone else it's a basically it's it's terminology and language created by government bodies to describe methods of agriculture that use 
more natural processes to arrive at similar chemical salts. So plants still consume salts. Salts just are the a chemical salt is a, a base and an acid ionic reaction essentially. That's it. So the difference is how you arrive at that specific compound is one of the main distinctions. Like calcium is an incredibly important part of like almost all biological functionality, humans and plants and you know, calcium nitrate is the most common form of calcium used by hydro by people that use fertilizers basically. And so they're using a mechanism in the plant which helps it up which allows it to uptake nitrogen. The nitrogen is bound so the calcium is bound to the nitrogen. So they basically and that allows the plant to absorb the calcium. The way they, they synthesize that in the lab. So they're exposing calcium, some form of calcium, which may or may not be calcium carbonate, which is carbonates are where you start getting into actual organic chemistry, which is different than organic farming. So basically the the calcium is exposed to some nitrogen, I'm sorry, some strong acid. This is essentially what happens in, in the soil as well. The roots exude acids and sugars, which facilitate these things naturally. So again, what you have is you have this inorganic acid basically exposed to some calcium source in a lab that produces a fertilizer product of unknown purity. And this kind of circles back to the labeling that we do for our, our resin and our hash products basically because we we have the same issues with transparency with, with gardening. You know, maybe if you go to the source and buy, you know, bags of known purity agricultural salts and mix them yourself, you know, and you're very efficient with your water usage, perhaps you can have a, a much better footprint. But at the end of the day, you're still throwing away, you know, rock hole blocks or medium every time, even if you use soil. So we're in beds that we that don't get thrown away every time. The soil just gets tested and then remineralized as needed. So some additional inputs, but even that kind of goes down over time. And this is where dragonflies talks a lot about, you know, building soil. They're mostly focused outdoor. They take, you know, natural inputs from their, from various parts of the, the area where their, you know, their farms are located in their own, you know, homestead or whatever, where they live. And, these things have all absorbed nutrients and so they aggregate them together and you know create this large mass of different inputs that break down slowly. So in organic agriculture, kind of similar things are happening. Like there are calcium products that are made in a lab, but they use an organic acid that is derived from vegetable protein and they expose it to calcium carbonate, which is organic from a chemistry standpoint. And so that's so technically that's organic. organic calcium. And here's the kind of the last one or two things I'll say on the topic is, so then there are organic inputs and then there are organic finished products. So a lot of the meals that you bought, like people buy at the agriculture stores, hydro stores, they're for organic production, but in most cases they're not organic outputs. So they were not themselves farmed organically, like alfalfa meal. What's in that box or that bag may be, you know, could be GMO, could be chemically farmed, you know, but it's okay to use in organic production. So this is where like, this is all kind of like this framework to facilitate a different industry, a different type of, like an overlay on the, the standard farming model essentially. And then 
Yeah, so basically. So you can just plane the benefits aside from just the oh, actual yeah. benefits of the clean cannabis, just the footprint even. Almost so, just, are all the practices all the, like you said, over time it. So like I'm less saying, over time because you don't, you have to, you amend your soil and like balance it less over time once you get it, eventually you get it to basically just watering it. So, I mean, you'll become all, less expensive yeah, because of less that. Less expensive or? is better, you know, boxes delivered, places, you know, things made, you know, places deprived of whatever thing came from whatever part of the world just to give you beer for your garden. You know, it's less and less and less where, like, you, I heard you need a lot of, like, beets, like, a ton of beets to, like, do get the sugars. So, like, what you're saying. Yeah, there's some like, companies like, like, like BioBiz, you know, like these, farming these and, are like, companies that are been around, like, for knows what they're doing the soil when they farm for those beets like you know wherever the farms are or whatever you know like so even that you know this is an organic bottle so we do use some organic agriculture products usually in the early vegetative stages where we our plants are not exposed to the, the beds yet just kind of mainly through foliar application then these are all like again organic bottles but the processes that the companies go through are much more transparent than when you're buying in the cannabis marketplace because these companies are actually registered through, or, you know, through they're um, already, they're already, they're already listed and they're reviewed and they're selling to the general agricultural market. So, like this, the science of it, it just kind of allows us to know a lot more about it. And there's a much more advanced science behind it. There, some of these companies are they are selling to the cannabis market. You just don't see it because what's happening is other companies are basically white labeling it you know they they produce a whole product line that's just based on someone else's product line marketed towards cannabis market up but the last thing i'll say on that is so if i really personally look at everything that goes in and out of our room from a footprint standpoint what goes in you know power water no soil you know maybe like a couple trash bags when we take down you know trellis is not reusable unfortunately although i've seen some hemp trellis out there would be interesting to at least we can throw it on the beds but basically we when we deleaf the plants it all just goes on the bed all those nutrients that the plant took up get dropped back on the beds and recycled the stalks everything and even lately we when we finish the washes of our own material we throw the flowers back on the bed too so literally we bring small plants in the room what comes out is frozen flowers and that's it there's nothing else maybe like i said a couple of trash bags and like it's very minimal compared to you know having to deal with rock wool and you know but it's a different mindset not you know rock wool it, it, it is for the rock wool mindset you can do good things if you're conscious and you're smart you know if you're really intuitive to it i think you could probably do a pretty good job but and like i said you know if you know if you're getting good pure you're getting salts that you know the purity, you know, they're high purity. Again, not marketed towards cannabis, agricultural market, transparency, whether it's forced or not, you know, is there. And yeah, fertilizer labeling is, is it, if you, I mean, if you guys think cart, distillate cartridge labeling is a whole mess, I mean, fertilizer labeling is crazy, you know. It, there's so many things and so many products that are not on label, stabilizers and various inputs that are not technically plant food that they don't have to put on the label so yeah oh that's complicated just there's so much like technicality there's there's a lot of complicated things and not enough awareness because i, I don't think necessarily that's information that the no, companies the just wanted to be, be aware it's of questions it's kind of it's the same thing with the hash you know it's, it's a 
education thing that you brought up, just every just have to keep on educating and spreading the like words to your friends and people that you know who know and obviously knowing that you're right first but or like researching some of that stuff but most of this stuff's pretty simple i mean to know that you can you know like I think it's gotten a lot simpler it's though. gotten more simple for sure the information it's just good to expand that to other people because i feel like people like in anything just don't see how much how beneficial it is when you just tell somebody else what it is and, or share that or find a community that cares to know or something you know i've just like been lucky that a lot of the people that we've been that we sort of formed a community with are people with whom basically we got in touch with them just by sharing information like he was like pepe was saying early on i just try to be part of the community on instagram you know i'm not trying to be popular. Oh, yeah, me too. Definitely. Yes. Communicating with, uh, like organically in the community. Yeah, sorry, we took a, what do they call it, a safety meeting? Yeah, this one group. But yeah, we, you were saying about kind of one of being part of the community on Instagram. Yeah, I just found that it was, I was getting the best kind of response from people just being genuine and sharing the things that I had learned, you know, some of the things, you know, were, was information that, you know, is, is available to people and they just don't know where to look and other things, you know, harder to find, but just basically trying to be as, as open as I could, you know, without committing myself to, I mean, this is on a personal, like some people I was engaging with very personally and others I was just sort of communicating in, in comments, but just try to be not try to convince people by telling them like what we're doing is better just kind of sharing our own experience with what we're doing and let them make decisions you know lead by example i suppose again it was pretty early i mean we've never done things like raffles or giveaways or yeah stash and dashes or whatever like to get followers i went private you know a while ago and you know people just i you know that's not the it's cool you know when some people follow you but I'm curious you know like recently now do you feel like in that regard you, it's picked up like some steam where like you're getting more people um, <laughs> the hash really seemed to do that for sure it helped a lot I guess but like he was saying we were I think it early on a lot of people were not trusting the methods you know that they'd seen going on like organic stuff I, I, I had a lot of friends early on that two of my best friends kind of like looked at straight kind of argued with me in the beginning like what like you're not going to do anything good like that's not going to do anything I sterilize my room every yeah, time yeah everything's sterile like I like leeches life you know yeah <laughs> and like in and I was like hey man I'm just going to do my best and you know we'll see and when I really I've both of those friends that I'm talking about have I'm not saying they've converted but they've completely like been like wow that every time I brought something by like whether it was flour early on and now the hash and just kind of, you know, speaks for itself. It, it does the, the quality, and I think that's what people gravitated to for the for the Instagram is or any sort of whatever the interest in us or whatever is because giving information like makes people understand and just kind of inspires you when you learn like oh man like organics and it works like this and you literally just grew some calm free outside or, or what whatever it is or fermented that was early on you know stages where they. You know, we did experiment us. with the, you know the ferments and all. But that. I think that's really what 
in any of that information for of our experimentation and going through through it, you know, and showing just you know the learning as you go kind of way. That I think really helps. People just love to see that. I think even most there's not a lot of people who even chime in. I think the only people who chime in really and have conversations with us is again like you know growers who are you know first on it. But that's that's a super small percentage of like how many followers either view us or follow us or whatever people who are on Instagram they, they, they seem to like just stop by and like pictures for some reason you know and it seems to be really seems to be real people too that are also in some way interested in cannabis or whatever or yeah you know a lot of it I feel like maybe you guys think something different which I'd be interested in hear, to hear about but like for example when we first talked earlier I was like the, the reason that I know that Oregon Farm exists even though it's like a single source small farm is because I've seen you guys and mostly I guess I would say you're like products on social media right and so like you see people post and then other people repost and then people go see like who has been posting the repost and so it kind of goes down like a rabbit hole right and you guys have been popping up a lot and so that's whole kind of like interesting thing in itself how social media really plays a role in things now yeah it must be just and it was never we've never really had discussions of like hey this is like we have to build this like this like you said there's never been giveaways there's never been anything like we just i guess just being circulated through those things because of sharing information or putting cool posts up or whatever and the quality of the resin that's really that's the funny thing like i said i hate to like just give it just because of making hash and everything because it's been a long road of just learning how to grow in soil inside and you know just grow in general i mean we're not yeah where i have over 10 15 years grown cannabis in various capacities but when you're talking about growing cannabis or any crop cycle after cycle, you know, with some intention of minimizing downtime and being efficient. There's a lot of similarity between, you know, the successful hydro growers. And these are characteristics of a successful grower. You know, it doesn't matter what's um, below your, you know, the tree line, so to speak, the medium. The medium, you know, you can have wars about that all day, but you know, if you don't know how to prune your plants and treat them properly, it goes back to like, you know, the merits that Dem talks about, which is, I mean, if you don't produce a successful harvest, then you're not putting out medicine to the community. And then it's a waste of resources, right? So you have to work towards being successful in whatever like effort that you, that you do. And I think it's been a pretty humbling experience to just continue to stay humble about it and you know try to meet the meet the the demands of of the community which is basically our own creation yeah we've been scratching our own niche with this the whole time for sure like this is immediately when we first started doing it it was just for us to have head smoke and it was really small and you know we were friends for many years before it, because it evolved through a, a dispensary and everything. I'm the younger one, okay, he's older than me, and, but not, not much, you know, he's still very young. <laughs> but, you know, it, but it started back then from yeah. something for us, and it's 
that satisfying I mean that need to satisfy what we wanted was like that need was growing <laughs> was because around LA it was changing getting quality cannabis what have you whatever and our lives like you know concentrating on either our own lives your career or your family whatever you want whatever you want to do or be passionate about leaving time to like source and find good flour or like good it, it takes time sometimes out of your way you're going to spend money on it and we thought and we're pretty you know we like to I think we kept in touch over all the years because of cars and Subarus and everything and I think that's what you know we just wanted to tinker on some stuff too you know again and that lets you be lets you be intuitive to cannabis when you're growing it it's insane like it, right when you grow your first plant or, or you can make your own hash from your own plant or smoke your own plant you just it's like this, like something, an epiphany of you have, of like, why wouldn't I do this? And then you start thinking about food in different ways. And it's just like, that, like you know, the way you grow it and everything. And it just seems like it just, again, it just scratches your own inch once you, once it dawns on you what you want to do with it. And it's like, you can't put out quality. And we, it was just the only time we'd share it with other people is if we had enough to share it. And again, if it was good enough, and then it finally turned into, let's always make sure to have enough to share kind of thing. And then it's gone from there. But yeah, the, the quality has to be like for us to smoke it for sure. Mostly. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly for, I don't know if that's like selfish or not, but like, it's a cool thing about a small batch and like single source, like things like that is that you're like, you get first dibs. Do it. You're, now you're, and I didn't do it to like, you know, for you, for all you people, I love that you guys are enjoying it. I didn't. I literally did it because I wanted to do it, like, because I, I love this shit, and like, I'm, I'm flattered that people want to smoke it, but like, <laughs> yeah, and that's why people do things like you quite you cook at home and everything like that. You're like, you appreciate other people's stuff. You love people like your cooking, but like, you don't do it for other people. You should do it to feed yourself. And that's really what I find like cool about like the small batch, right? Like, is that it's primarily for you it's like your passion and if you're able to have enough for other people then awesome yeah you know but it becomes a weird dynamic where people start expecting you guys to keep having stuff available right and so you know i'm curious as a regenerative indoor grower it's two of you right now you both kind of were talking earlier about how you share responsibility danny's more in, uh, of the looking into like the microbiology of the soil and Pepe, you're more of like the hash maker, but you both kind of also dabble with the other thing. We both actually have to help. Again, it was mostly the growing for yeah. a long time. <laughs> yeah. Concentration hash. Sadly for me, a lot of times I feel like I was always just like, Hey man, let's get this hash, but you know, <laughs> but sadly for me, we had to, it had to take a back seat for a long time, you know, for that, that to really come to reality, you know, it's tough. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, I think Danny said it earlier, it was something like, well, I mean, you know, the hash is coming from somewhere. So I mean, you yeah. becoming a good grower or like steward of the plant, I think That's is obviously like a big step in, in being able to produce a quality hash if you decide to do that with the resin and if the resin works for what you're trying to do. You know, and on that note, I know we've kind of talked a little bit about some of the stuff that you guys are running and we've talked about obviously you beginning a small farm. So if you don't mind me asking, 
you know, how small is how small is small, and what are some of the things that you guys are running, and and you know, tell me a little bit about the grow, I guess. It's small. Our folder is pretty small too. It's smaller, like you know, people talk to us right now. They're like, oh, I'm trying to set up a quarter. Some friends of ours, you know, in the garage, telling us how small it is. So yeah, I'm kind of new, laughing. They're like, no, it's small, but you know, it's. I mean, we're like around where it's like under 200 square feet of cannabis space. That's just ours. As I was mentioning to you, we have some friends that do things the same way, and we're you know kind of working together in certain capacities to have a little bit more capacity material that meets our quality and to grow some of the things that we grow. One of the challenges we have is that we acquire strains and then we're not able to run them like right away as, as quickly as we'd like. So we're hoping that, you know, once our friend kind of gets a couple runs under his belt with some of the things we've helped with that, you know, we can use that as a way to, or, or the other way around, you know, we run the new stuff and they run things that we know are solid, but we've really just been careful to really careful not to put any effort into things that aren't going to come to fruition. So expanding or doing things like that is like something we're really careful about. And we've just like concentrated on the small, you know, canopy space that we have. And it just is, you know, we don't want to, we've reconfigured it many times too, to like have it and and had, you know, when we were growing flower had like great flower yields and things like that. And we reconfigured it also to, you know, we used to have like big pots, like big, big big pots in the room and then we change it to beds and we used to have lights on movers. rail movers rails we used to have old style thousands the new style thousands and 600s and all all kinds of different configurations to try to kind of keep things i don't know learn experiment keep things optimal but as pepe was saying like we're always not trying to put ourselves in the position where we would have to make a decision that doesn't that is like in question of our ethics and the way we do things because like quality control I think is like a big big area where people start losing their focus when you don't have quality control you start losing the focus that you had as you're kind of increasing your production a little bit Um, you have to be you know question opportunities see what what good they can do for both sides and it's kind of the right time to the best of your ability And, and I think that's like that's where you know products go to market or go to friends go to people whatever that just aren't up to par you know people feel the need to keep their brand up instead of saying you know i don't have anything for a week whatever it is you know i can't we're here to help friends and people and things like that so sometimes you know we don't want to have problems and we don't want other people to have problems so we just try to be as thoughtful as possible to make decisions that don't put us in a position where we have to like cut corners and do things in ways we wouldn't want to do. Yeah, and oh, sorry. Well, basically, is why it slowed this process of us really committing to something because we don't want to have, you know, how other people are put in situations with a larger grow and financial things. It's not that they're willingly making some of these things and like lowering quality. So like their hands are are tied. You know, their their decisions are being pushed by you know just you know the overall success of. The entire operation, you know, what I mean, if we don't, that's what he was saying about cutting corners, where you just immediately pose with, you know, something that could be judgmental to like other people, like putting out a product that's not good enough, that anything wrong with it in any sort of way, and that's just, I think, hard for any company to do, obviously, but we just want to avoid those things. Just 
go as slowly and as responsibly as we can. Just, I mean, and this is experience. I, like, I have, you know, from being on the internet and on forums for a long time, you know, you can, it's not that new to me, like the rise and fall that can happen on social media. It's just a different platform. You know, forums are kind of very specific to a certain niche or group or interest or whatever, you know, social media platforms are just, you know, monolithic things that connect people of all different kinds of interests. But you can, you know, you're on the chopping block basically every day. You know, when you're, it's really, I saw something from one of our friends today. I think it said something like, it's really hard to please everyone. And it's really easy to piss everyone off. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I mean, I think you're going to do both one way or another. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully please people more than you piss them off. But. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think that's kind of a, a sign of something that's, it's good, right? It's, it's almost like art or like music where like not everything is going to be loved, you know, but right. there's some stuff that's really amazing that maybe at the time wasn't kind of seen for what it was. And then over time it kind of aged gracefully, you know, in a way. And so, yeah. One of the things I kind of wanted to ask you about is, you know, since you went from growing you started growing for flour early, you know, right? And then um, you mentioned to me, maybe off air, maybe during the conversation that we've had, that then you you started doing flour rosin from that? Yeah, yeah. We That's kind of how over resonance the account started. We haven't done as much with that account. Not really intentionally. But one of the reasons is resins in general. It's resins in general, but technically over farms is the name that's certified by dragonfly so we kind of just went down that path but yeah we flower rosin we we it was a a method of selection it was um you know kind of a means of making people more aware of what we were doing you know when people see your name on you can put out you can share a lot more little envelopes with friends than you know than necessarily you can like turkey bags of flour <laughs> right um, so it it, it helps really it helps to kind of disseminate matter. you know your what you're doing and associate I don't want to call it a brand but you know it's an association to everything that we're doing so yeah we were super hyped we still actually I think the other day I found a box of the little white coin envelopes from back in the day before the jars and all that but yeah we were I mean Pepe got a t-shirt press and modified it you know, we were trying to do whatever we could do with rosin. Go to dispensaries and find some hash, press it, you know, learn a little bit about what's going on. And so I've taken that same t-shirt press to my friends, like in my car, in my backseat, like a big t-shirt press that I modified. And I kind of lucked out on quality buying it the second hand. But actually, anyways, yeah, I'd taken it up there and press a bunch of sift with it one time, like that my friend had farmer's grade sift and it was just really amazing style of you know learning and putting it out there just like wow like what can we do like with this method of you know either rosin or just you know in that same trip at that time I made I made water hash with my friend my friend's my best friend's Patrick he's on Instagram saying to not just toast it's not really like popular it's like, but yeah my really really good friend man it's like you know had some quality and we're, I went up there and did some stuff and then at the time I was helping him kind of like get this from what I knew about it as it was very early on like closed loop stuff and he was doing that and 
you know, assembling things to the best of our knowledge, trying to make things as clean as we could then. And I went up there and was like, hey man, like, well, when I go, like, do you want to freeze some stuff? We can do some washes. Like, I think we pieced together, like, a bag kit that we borrowed some from his friend and he had a couple bags and like, and then he was like, he didn't really know what to do. And he was kind of like, hey, like, I'll just let you like do it. Like, just do it however you want, whatever. We're just like in a bucket and it is in Tahoe. So it was super cold during the winter still, the end of the winter basically. And actually I think it might've been summer actually. It was still super cold at night at the time. It would've been the early summer. And yeah, we made water hash. I made, helped them sift some stuff and press it and like clean up a little bit of it and then made rosin you know sorry like all the above basically all these extracts and then like just the melt on its own too and i i sieved some of it and microplane some of it and like you know just like played around with it and i think when i came back i was just like on this huge kick of like that's all i want to do is make solvents because i it was going to be like build a system of my own at the time and it was a huge undertaking like you know what year was this this was in two 2014 right when that thing came out like when it was talked about i was like went out the next day it was like found a press and everything but yeah like and i guess i went up there really soon after i remember a couple months i guess a few months after but just through that whole learning process you know just learn to just want have this want a need for resin that's clean for people you know, i remember reading about rosin actually a long time ago on the forum but not in the con not in this context yeah in the context of, forgot his of, name they, they actually they totally it's, it ended up being like an old roommate of bubble man and they like you would take like a bowl yeah, basically okay. you know about you take a warm like a steel bowl you put it in warm water and warm the sides get warm come with like a double broiler yeah, or, no no not that hot like okay like maybe a hundred, just warm just okay, to to hash, okay. Degrees, and you basically rub the hash like a patty of dried hash yeah on the, on the metal and then you'll get the oil essentially or something cleaner than just the hash yeah um that's the only i think that was like on the icy mag yeah forums IC right Overbro, yeah um i remember that guy's that guy's name like, yeah i remember so give that guy like i wanted like give that guy a shout out because that was so long ago i forgot his name yeah Bubbleman brought bring has brought him up obviously yeah, and i think up, they yeah. tried to have him on once and maybe he was on another time on hash church but yeah he was like the kind of i guess original online originator like of milking rosin out of it out of the cash yeah i think what you know obviously soil growing brought that was different it was just like the practicalness of using a tool like a hair straightener instead of having to heat up the bowl and like oh man yeah, that, you know, that probably was, like would have never been like i don't know so there was, was no pressure it was almost just, just like heat only yeah i feel like there was just like not even comparatively like because what if you tried to do that method with something like what program was doing he was still doing it with like three star or whatever it was like well and at first it was the it was actually like i think the, the, the buds right the flower like he was like the smashing flower, oh, I, well the, I'm pretty sure the first reason why was was because he ran out of melt now, he was smoking mahash only I guess and he ran he wasn't having like the 6 star he didn't have 5 or 6 star and he was taking some of his lower grade of hash and 
with his finger pressing it on the email in a piece of parchment paper and like burning his finger basically every time he <laughs> and in that quick instant was squirting out oil out the sides and then he could like that up do that and then that sparked his idea to just get a butt then he ran out of doing that I think is what I heard him say in one of the stories that, or one of the times I've heard him on Peter Hatcher or something and then he said then he tried just like okay I don't even have hash anymore because I did it through all of it I'll just literally try some flour somewhat and he, I think that was where the hair straightener came into play Yeah. or he may have already and he also mentioned that he had like already kind of like overpressed hash before you've done that of yeah. and then separated out and he would fold it up and just like whatever I don't know and just like think about it right. and I think all of those situations and you know happenstance and everything just was eventually just like oh well I could just expand this yeah for sure it clicked and then I think you know which isn't similar to to me at all almost about the milking of the thing out it's just like that that is just they almost seem like completely different it's like how would you do that on the scale where it's Oh yeah, it's just work not or anything, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think like that's like I said, it's just not practical, right? You know. Um, speaking of like melts and rosin, when you guys do your single source, a how often are you putting it out? B even if it's just for yourselves, and then B like what are you keeping as ash, and what are you rosining, and and why? The melts that we make for ourselves only come out every two three months, you know. We we're vegging, we don't have a large range, you know, what have you, canning space. So it comes out every two, three months at the most. And it's comprised, the melt is comprised of first wash only. And the reason why we do that is just because from what I've known, you know, when you're a con- I mean, sorry, when you're a consumer and you are like smoking hash or we were smoking hash, you know, years ago, it was like information about it was great. Like you nerding out with your friends was like some of the funnest part of about it, about like, Oh, this happened. This is first wash. And it's like, Oh, what does that mean? You know, like I feel like that's like, was some of the funnest part about it and everything. So that was what interested us the most to start keeping our first wash. But then, you know, it just kept know, being some people better and the better market. every time. You know, we don't, we generally sit on the single source. We generally don't press the mouth. Our goal is to be able to produce six star. Yeah. Basically. And we feel, you know, we still feel that six star is the supreme product. Of course, if it's your preference to press it, that by all means, but like, you know, you're not going to get that quality of rosin from something that isn't six star. But as far as, you know, frequency, we only have one personal garden. So, you know, every, three months or so single source our friend is you know on an offset schedule so hopefully soon you know i mean we put their work the last run was excellent we got yeah, some we definitely wedding cake some triangle mint, triangle mints was by them the what some gmo recently and a great og actually it's what really we're super hyped to run it again and make hash with it this time after seeing what they got from it. So yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, we'll have some to share maybe every two months. And then, yeah, I mean, beyond that, we, you know, sometimes we include 40 micron, depends on the strain, you know, some- For um, the rosin. For the rosin, yeah. The fruitier strains I've noticed, like ones that are very, like you say, terpy, but in less in a gassy way, not as much as a gassy Is that a scientific term? (laughs) Yeah, that is, it is actually. But I noticed that those ones are the, they produce in their smaller sizes of microns, you know, the 70, they actually have a great smell and aroma and 
usually melt quality still so it's usually very specific every single time on every one it's worth we'll take it out check out if it melts first of all right away and smoke it and see if it properly make sure it's all completely dried the way we want it and then from there we can immediately tell what we want to rosin of course you know and most of the time people unless people specifically ask us for you know first press rosin we just don't make it usually because it's again goes with the selection of cultivars which really really trying you know and through trial and error of our own I do like knowledge. It. It's great. It's just you yeah. know, it doesn't. I don't think it's necessary. Or the person, you know, if you really yeah. like it, you can have, you can do great little press on a hair straightener. If you, you know, if that's your. Thing. I mean, sometimes we do it, but and then as Pepe was saying, different different strains have different. Like, this is where we keep data also, just to see not percent, not only percentages total, but like how we're doing like run to run, you know, or even like if we're working with the same farmer, you know, one batch to another batch, same thing, just kind of help them also see, you know, where they're yielding. Ideally, you know, if your strains are having good melt quality, in 90 and 120 or 104 bag, a lot of times maybe they don't do that. That's like the sweet spot, but strains like at least in our experience so far, it's mainly been Starburst OG. It just seems to produce a smaller head size. So like the 70 is basically excellent. You know, it's it, it's really like... It makes almost mostly almost like all 90. 90 and 70 and very little 120. Like, like we've actually seen um, Cash Tree Mason posting 40 to 69 like melt dabs. I yeah. actually personally haven't tried it. Is that off that Starburst OG? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah off the Starburst OG. Just the smaller micron, but he's done a lot of good work with that strain that made a lot of like cool concentrates that probably inspired us to want to. We've heard a lot of good things about it. That was one of the people. Yeah, not a lot of people have the Starburst. I think you asked about things we were running. We have we run the GMO, the Starburst, um, Grease Monkey this time, Great Pie OG. We used to run a lot of Mendo Breath in the past. It doesn't wash that well we've got a few new things coming up that we haven't yet run but we've got some mimosa that's supposed to do well nice orange flavor that a lot of people like we're not huge orange fans so we're kind of on the fence about it about you know committing something that's pretty much much the hardest part about it is the whole you know do we want it? The flavor? Do we want? Does it yield anything that we can work with? Does it, or that we can give out to people? Does it? Where does it yield? What microns does it yield in? You know, and it's so hard to like every single time. Not hard. Like I love the process of doing it, but it's so hard to like make adjust across the board black and white scale for this. You know, it's almost not. I feel like it's not easy. I feel like people are trying to do it in ways for Robin and solventless that just they just want to. It's just another streamlined thing, and here you go, ready, and there's no variances of it. They want to make it, every strain. I will have solvents from that, solvents from that, and solvents from that. And it, I just don't think it, it's that easy, I guess, you know, for certain things. Yeah. I mean, it is for, you know, more power to everybody doing that. I mean, that's what they, what people want. Like, it's, who am I, who are we to argue with people, what people want? So, but for ourselves, like I said, it's, a, it's been a, it's been a scratch our own itch type of thing the entire time. So, and if people 
gravitate towards that, like, excellent. But, like, <laughs> if not, we're totally still just going to be here making and smoking this hash. So. Right. Yeah, so, you know, it kind of, in my mind, brings up an interesting point because you guys do process other people's material into hash, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, brings up a point, too. They, they sometimes have what they want, too, and what we need to just, you know, tell that, that we don't argue with that, depending on what it is, you know? Sometimes they'll listen to us, sometimes they want whatever their portion is, however they want it, or whatever, but... Yeah, that brings a whole other <laughs> point into it too, because we'll process something with somebody, and they don't want it that way. They're just like, "Here, my people." That's where it's how it started off a little bit before. Is that they're like people that I hang out with, I smoke it with, give it to. They're like they don't want. They're like they're confused by this. They're like I'm straight confused by this, and because they haven't made hash before, like, well, which one's a good one and why? Right. You know? And. And just like, oh, man, like, you know, he, I'll make you, do you want what everybody else has, basically? Do you want it a full spec run in a jar, basically? So you're saying that the grower is asking you guys, like, hey, which of these is better? Or, like, Some what them, is this so stuff? Yeah, just say, you know, like, it's do the chef's you, choice, and other yeah. times, you know, they want to dictate. And, you know, that's fine. Right. Whatever they want to do. And so, you know, a couple things on that. One, with, for example, the farm that, you're not necessarily working with, but like are helping. Yeah, yeah. Right. You you said you help them with genetics. You help them with the soil, which obviously is a big component. Yeah. And I'm assuming you have also helped them in like other departments in the grow, maybe like more controlled environment or whatever it may be. Right. Yeah, but, uh, like bigger bet, like you switch the bet, like instead of positive, we should get, you know. Okay. Analysis, yeah, soil analysis and stuff. So, for example, a farm like that, when you process their material, is it still a collaboration between over farms? It's really up to them, really. Sometimes we'll leave, sometimes, most people don't, they don't seem to want that sort of, like, they don't care and doesn't seem to help them, so they don't mind to have us make them a whole other sticker or whatever, or they don't, they're not going to run an Instagram page for themselves, which is, I think, really cool uh, in general. Like, I wish we didn't have to, like, fully do that to reach out to people, but it kind of, you kind of have to, you know, double-edged sword or whatever, but I think we would totally do it for anybody who wants to, like, who's interested in it, I would love to just, you know, put their, because it's hard work, it's all the work, or really just, you know, showcasing the work at that point, and, you know, it's yeah, I think it's it just hard. depends on what they, what the, the farmer wants to do. Yep. They want, they want to be co-labeled, collab, yeah. right. um, or if they want nothing involved, there's, you know, it's, it's everyone's got their situation. Right. Everything that works out for them. What happens in the situation where, let's say you take material, you do what you got to do to figure out if it's worth washing, you do wash it, and then you're not necessarily pleased with, you know, the results. What, what happens in a situation like that? I often ask them to just, you know, if we can work it out. Like, we're reasonable people. You know, something like maybe instead of doing... Maybe instead of doing this, a split or something, which is pretty common, you know, offer them like some sort of fee that's reasonable. Yeah, like hey, this didn't work out quite the thing. way it was conveyed. Make you know? sure that it works out for them still, of course, in favor for them, you know. Or maybe just be like, hey, that they have something else that they're like, this will work, and it does end up working out, and then we can even it out on that. Like, just come to an agreement, some sort of how it can work out, but. 
yeah, there are some things where basically instead of us doing a call and putting it out, we just ask them to like, you know, take it back, which we usually tell people beforehand, you know, what I mean? if we can't, if it's something that doesn't come out quality enough, of course, or whatever, we're not, like they understand, like, you know, we can't. the whole part of the, I guess the brand quote unquote or whatever is like, just like a, it's just a certification, I don't know, our approval. You know, our approval that it's gonna be good enough. Like, we really don't want to put out things that that it's all that it's been so good, and then they just automatically gravitate towards it and want to get it, and then it changes and it's not good anymore just because it's you know based on processing for whoever wants it. You know, and it's it's honestly hard to tell people now, like when we don't want the whole curating a thing, finding people is easier for us because we put so much time into learning about cannabis. So finding out what they do, like how things, the right questions to ask, you know, we've had people offer us things and we just plainly haven't been able to take it because of certain things. We're just like, say no. I, I imagine other people would have a lot more trouble with garden with, you know, say if you have a passion for hash, but you know, you don't have like as much experience dealing with different cultivars different types of growers, different types of things. It's gonna, it's a rocky road. I think a lot of people have mentioned that on here. That's, it's a hard knock like road. There's gonna be a lot of failures and a lot of, as is there is with growing right away, there's a lot of like kicks in the nuts, like of like, wow, like I didn't think of that. And, and I'm very humbled now. And now I know, but I, but I literally lost, you know, time, which is more, which is obviously the most expensive thing when you think about it. And then, like all the resources you may have put in, may have put into it. It's just so hard to think about that. And that's why we were so careful with just working with people. And so we don't create losses for people. And we've, there's people who have come before us. That's why, again, respect people who are super good at making hash and have been making hash on large levels. Like we've been able to look at them and, you know, just leave, avoid the mistakes that they've made, you know, kind of like stand on the shoulder of the giants type of thing, you know, and it's benefited us to, to just be careful with uh, what we say. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say now like, to people. It's sad because we can't, and, but just be honest is the best way. Someone I met early, earlier on or about, about two years ago was Dr. Ladybug. Yeah. He's like, we just met. I mean, we talked online and we just met one time when he was in LA and had got together and just got talked to him. Fire. I talked to him a little bit about, you know, not everyone's like super open about sharing, you know, their business, but he was like pretty open. You know, I wasn't prying, but just asking general questions. And like, I think his answers and experience definitely helped kind of guide some of the decisions, you know, that we made not to, not to like overextend ourselves and, you know, you want to put out a good product. So, yeah, it's, I feel from all the people almost that I've talked to, in some way or another like there's always a few people that kind of were of assistance in like kind of the vision you know and so that's kind of cool that you guys had had that relationship with Dr. Ladybug and you know maybe it's more like you said through messaging or like yeah but it's like I know where a lot of us are so busy and it's like I feel you know lucky about those kinds of things or it's the timing or whatever you know makes that happen it's it's pretty lucky because I know he's busy, I know I'm busy, and, you know, we can't... I bet if we, if the same situation were to happen now, you know, I might not even, you know, get a response. You know, people, we, like, and we see similar things, or 
we can't, you know, we can't respond to everyone as maybe as often as we could, as personally as we could originally. And that's not because it's not a personal thing. Obviously, we just have to focus on getting certain things done. Well, there's only so many of you and so much time, and you don't have, like, a social media department. No, and, like, the, and yeah. the more exposure we get, the more, you know, varied the questions are from things like, you know, I'm, I'm here in L.A., I'm leaving at 530. <laughs> like, from someone I've never met before. I think what you're trying to say is you want to meet me and you want <laughs> me to be your friend and share my hash with you, but... You know, I don't think that's pretty realistic. So, or in a formal way. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's an easy thing to send a uh, DM, and so I think a lot of times I'm sure people right. get a lot of, and like you said, as as you get bigger, you probably just get a bunch of different. Yeah, you become like you, like the the, the the target of mass requests or whatever. Like people just asking people that don't care. You know, it's interesting. There's like. People, people assume a lot too as if there's just like this just stock of it or something it's like I think the people who have worked with us like you know closer and have gotten our stuff who we've really just tried to have you know limited relationships with people who really appreciate it I feel like they've noticed right away they're like oh wow like there's not a lot of this and you're literally just doing it yourself and trying to do the best you can kind of thing it's not just most people just assume they hit us up like, or they hit anybody up or they see an Instagram of some good shit and they're like oh psh, there's probably tons of that that's a that's a full working well oiled machine and you're like no like we're humans and we're just trying to make it and you know let's, again why would the whole why are you thinking you're not blowing up I don't know because we're just regular dudes and I don't know we're not completely obviously we've been enthralled in this culture you know we're totally part of it and we love it but it's I don't know it's something of an undertaking and I've always said that to people about cannabis and why probably I didn't want to do it for a long time it's responsibility <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility or whatever and that's not easily done with having you know a life like I've had a family business that my dad passed away like been 10 years now but like suddenly and the bakery so um that dynamic you know everything like having a job and something else and a whole other career that you want to do at the same time you know i don't know that everybody wants to do that many things too you know who wants to like yeah i mean like, there's definitely stuff, why there's well, you can relax and that's why there's an opportunity for people also you know farmers want to farm and and hash makers want to make cash totally and there's a huge market out there and I think it's everyone has their own little, you know, kind of niche. So there's enough out there for everyone. And then, you know, I think a lot of times people, it feels like at least are almost like in competition with each other or people are like trying to bring each other down or, you know, I don't really feel like there's necessarily a need for that, you know, and something so artisanal and so specialized and so like curated or whatever however you want to call it like there's room for that for everywhere like, I don't know anybody who doesn't have the opportunity that if they wanted to make something specialized and, and they had enough know-how about it they could just literally if you're good about it if you're good enough it's going to show and those sort of things it has to go a lot of uh, for me with food and things like that is that regardless of what food you're doing or whatever if you make it from the best quality ingredients you make it the best you can and you just keep at it you, somebody's gonna get 
you're going to get some sort of recognition for that. Right, quality kind of speaks for itself. There's always going to be room for that. Like, there's always going to be a smaller percentage of people who want to put in the extra work. And it's not that they just want to put in the extra work, they're just passionate about it. Like, I, I don't think we just decided that we wanted to make really great cannabis and extracts from it. I think our that's how our minds work. It's just like, if you're going to do it, let's just do it right. And, you know, that you just go from there. It's just I think there's always going to be room for people. They don't have to be com- competitive with people. That's the coolest thing about hash. She was like, I, I saw them as hash, at, at least for sure. I've noticed is that people who are passionate about it are just your instantly your friends. Like I met other people, other hash makers, talk with them on Instagram. They're like super cool when you just want to hang out. And I think that's why it's important to spread information. I've always felt that if you want to just if you want to just hang out in the space and you spread it around like that's only going to make a bigger cooler space like what if we went to you know people already are going to other countries and finding other great hash makers but what if you went to a beautiful part of the country a part of the world that you really wanted to smoke hash and just happened to be just a great hash maker there because of the information disseminated through people who give a shit and like want to smoke good hash you know and i think that's huge in the solvent scene people just want to like dude if you smoke good if you make good hash then We'll be able to like trade good hash, you know? I don't know. Like maybe it, it just seems so much more like genuine. So if you, like you said, I don't need to <laughs> form rivalries or anything like that. And something so good like that, I don't know. The, the the nature of this seems like it's not like making it into like Coca Cola anyway. Like none of that. It seems like there's a area for that in cannabis in a, an arena, <laughs> if you will, because it's pretty cutthroat. But uh, you know. This isn't it, I think. Yeah. Well, as I tend to say, I know taking up a lot of your time. I appreciate, again, you know, hanging out. I appreciate the resin. We've been smoking on some, remind me, Grease Monkey. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been... Single source, yeah. Yeah, some of your single source Grease Monkey, and it's been killer. Great flavor and, like, strong. It's pretty strong, you know, so definitely props on, on the hash. And thank uh, you. Yeah, thanks. for sure. No, yeah, thank thanks. you. Thanks for just like, you know, uh, considering us to do it and everything. And we really appreciate the opportunity. I'm sure people, I'm sure every other hash maker was on here was pretty, must have been somewhat flattered to be in, you know, wanted to be interviewed for something, you know. Yeah, it's kind of a, I feel like a new space, you know, like cannabis has a bunch of things that surround it that I think will change over time. And so, you know, honestly, for me, it was something that, like, I thought would be cool if I could listen to, nah, you know? And <laughs> so I was really like, cool. well, I mean, nobody else is doing it. You know, I'll, I'll give it a whirl and see what happens. And uh, it's, you know, been good. It's been fun, you know? And, and, and really, for me, it's it's more of a passion project. I got to kind of, she probably won't listen, but I got to give a shout out to my wife because she's, you know, the one who's also cool with me doing this. And, you know, really, my only purpose is to kind of highlight people's story no man you're doing a great job at it it's like and it's so cool to hear people's like just different opinions on it on the same subject and just different roads or whatever just like methodology people have heard like oh like do a ton of cleaning it's this to me and this is hash to me and this is hash to me it's just like I think it's super cool no, well, cool, man. I appreciate that. Like, I made a post recently. I've been getting some pretty good, like, positive messages from people. And I, I think people kind of dig the information and the stories. And so, yeah, as long as I can keep doing it, I, I will. And <laughs> on that note, you know, I just, I wanted to ask you both, 
two questions. Each of you kind of can answer your own. And one of those questions is, you know, I know you guys have known each other for a while. You told me before we started the interview, you know, you worked at the dispensary together. Yeah, I think we were um, friends now for like 12 years. Yeah, then you lost touch, and then the Subarus kind of brought you back together. And it did the, the Subaru transmission fluid. Yeah. It did. It's the oil, man. It's always the oil. It's always the oil, whether yeah. it's Subaru or cannabis, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, working in a partnership is not always the easiest thing. Obviously, doing things yourself, if you get used to doing something, how you do it, whether it's you know the best practice or not, it's fine. But when you're working with someone else, that is sometimes presents like a challenge, you know. And so I'm curious, what's keeping you guys together? You know, what what are some of like the things that one brings to the table to the other that makes kind of the experience worth sharing? Oh man, you're putting us on the spot. <laughs> No, I don't know. I think I feel like we do talk about this kind of often, and we uh, that we're and we're good at realizing it. But I don't know. You go, you go no. ahead. <laughs> I mean, I think like there's a lot of without like I guess going into like specifics. I suppose there's a lot of there's a lot of things about individual you as an individual that benefits the situation. There's a lot of just from like the interests and the availability and things like that, like just practical things. But then, you know, there's a lot like on a higher level, there's a lot of like commonality in the way we see things or a willingness to like understand things at a greater depth or like patience to do that. And then of course, you know, just the common interest in the work that we're doing, you know, and just, I guess the fact that it hasn't really wavered yeah, I'd agree for sure. That's like probably us both being as passionate about it as we are as like, like you said, does, has not let our, our like decision making waver and change. I think that's huge or pivotal somehow over just things changing and progressing in our own lives. We've been able, we are like a lot of our one's weaknesses or another of our strengths and vice versa. And it's somehow been like really like beneficial. Like I, Danny's very technical with and like intuitive for things, you know, and like I can totally be like the opposite sometimes, you know what I mean? Or, or vice versa for any situation like hash and whatever, you know what I mean? Like it's somehow just worked out and like, uh, our, like our daily lives, like I said, the way our, the regular day happening, you know, just how it pans out somehow we just work well together with that. You know what I mean? Like, he's not available I am sort of a deal and it's just hard to have like trust in people who you haven't worked with before you know me I guess and like like now we've worked together for long together and we understand you know what it takes to like ask somebody it's hard it's like you working in the environment with anybody it's hard to like even you have a real nine to five job type of desk job or something just speaking and communicating with anybody is just it's tough you know team building if you will whatever I think potential is like a big, a big thing also because, like when you're employed somewhere, you know companies hire you. They should be hiring you for your potential, not just what you can do that day. And so, like I, I guess I've always seen like a potential for this, and then to see like that there's a person who sees a similar potential. I mean, I guess that's all it really takes. And it's not all it really takes, but it's definitely necessary. Yeah, well, it's, cool. hard, it's hard to yeah. find. 
for sure nowadays of people making, like, you know, making a decision to work with somebody or not, you know, is super hard when it's your own enterprise or whatever, your own, your own hours, not just somebody else's work. It changes a lot. Yeah, it's much more complicated. I mean, that's part of the question, uh, part of the reason that I asked the question, you know. So that's cool, though, you know, and then things work out like they need to, and you guys clicked a long time ago, and now you kind of have this rhythm, like you said. Yeah, honestly, I feel like I, I owe Danny and, like, the people back then, like, well, I was younger, and I was, like, 18, just coming into the space and hanging out. It was cool. It was, like, a clubhouse environment, almost dispensary back then, just on it, like, bunch of guys were all into like you know like turbo cars and imports and stuff I don't know this is a purely medical organization <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> right we were playing fourth in the back was like super helpful to everybody <laughs> but yeah I feel like I got brought into a cool space and like you know I saw cool extracts back then from like I just had like I don't know I feel like I got a cool opportunity so like to do things like that to see hash smoked ex excellent stuff you know i mean on like a shelf type of thing and compare things all you know i feel like that was huge for me and that was definitely some of the reason why too that i thought was like cool that we already were friends and were in a similar space before together kind of right and it was cool back then those were kind of like the golden days so it's like the friends and the relationships you have from back then around here it's like it's funny how those ones always kind of stick because you guys all remember like oh I remember the times when we first were seeing the fire and or getting access to it and all that stuff right it's like you wouldn't go in through that kind of created a special bond that yeah it totally does because everything changed kind of fast after it would you know right. now that it's changing again it's almost like you want to band with your friends like that again like so much more you're like oh remember the good old days when we did like if only we knew what we knew now that's what you'll say here in 10 years <laughs> today, right? Of course. Hindsight's uh, always twenty twenty. And my final question, which has kind of become a staple of the show, and that's kind of shout out to Fire Red Beard for encouraging me to keep asking this question. But, you know, if there was somebody that you guys could hear on the podcast, who would that be? One guy that was pretty inspirational to me early on, I guess, was Beer Goggles. I was really just into all of his pictures and he was doing like, he was already growing outside in soil and everything. And, you know, it was just interesting to me. And, and like, he's like very transparent with the, like, like was into like tattoos and whatever, I guess a little bit too. And beer goggles is so, uh, oh, yeah, nothing, nothing but net. net. Nothing but net extracts. Yeah. But back then it was just, right. At least from when I got into it, it was just tons of macro photos of trichomes and like perfectly focused, you know, shots and, just really cool and some tattoo pictures here and there so I think that would be a cool one that was a big one a big inspiration to me and it seemed like he's been around for a long time doing it yeah I agree and Danny if you had to say I think you should have us back again <laughs> <laughs> no um, let me see what about our our Subaru brother Nicotine Oh right, yeah, Nicotee. That one's a, that was an early one on. Shout out, <laughs> Nicotee has a legacy. That's why he's getting it because I have a like yeah, super legacy. And yeah, they actually have the same car, the same year and everything. It's funny. Yeah, um, yeah. Honestly, that, yeah, that one's a big one. If he's if he's in, you know, I'm sure he had have a lot of insightful stuff. He's been around for a long time. Yeah, 
it, maybe have him and Matt Rise on at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. I think it would be a little difficult to put together. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Um, I mentioned in a prior interview about my kind of story with Nikati, and he was supposed to be my first interview. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, it just didn't kind of work out because of technical difficulties, funny enough. But yeah, I definitely intend to, to talk to Nick sometime. Cool. And um, I think, like you said, he probably has a lot of... Yeah, a lot to share. Yeah, Definitely. he has a lot to share. So, well, cool. Again, this was Pepe and Danny from Ogre Farms, based out of Los Angeles, California. Again, you can follow them on social media, at Ogre Farms. And your resin account is at Ogre Resins? Yeah, yeah. Ogre Resins, yeah. Okay, cool. And, you know, is there anything else you guys want to say? or No, just thank you to everyone listeners people in the community everyone who shares a common interest yeah thanks for the support anybody who's given you know spent their time even to find out about us or get any get anything good you know yeah that's a huge that's huge to us you know direct the fact that anybody cares to even you know smoke this or anything that's that's like a that's enough respect right there you know yeah that's cool and i mean that, that's what i find honestly honest about you guys is just like you're super humble and you're just, you know, all about your craft, you know? And so I also, I've never really said anything uh, about the audience, but I'm thankful, you know, also to all the people who uh, have listened and are listening now or will listen. And, you know, I've, it's not like huge numbers, but I, I think I put the first one out kind of in May and up until now, you know, we're over like 3000 downloads, which, like I said, it's not a lot, but for something that, Really, uh, there's no other way to know about this podcast but no. by like coming across it on social media. I think it's a lot more important than than just the numbers too, because I feel like the quality of the listeners, of people who are there, like want that information for a reason, and they, you know, like they're gonna sit down and listen to like all of us nerd out about hash. Like that's gonna be a different type of like person that does that rather than just like somebody scrolling by on Instagram and giving like, you know, five, 10 seconds interest of something and liking it. Yeah, I for sure. The quality of that. I think it's going to be way cooler than like, you know, it's just starting off and it's already like a lot of, you know, I think a lot of really cool hash makers already have interviewed. So once they find it, they'll find an archive of really cool stuff and be like, Oh my gosh, wow. I've been smoking this stuff and I have been scrolling by on Instagram about stuff, but now they'll, they'll totally have some sort of quality to put speaking to the quality. Of archive <laughs> yeah archive the, would be yeah, would be an interesting yeah, person yeah, cool. yeah I've thought about it out in Portland uh, yeah I think he's at and yeah there's there, I have a ton of people on the list it's just a matter of money and then outside of that just you know the time and effort and and other people's time as well you know sure. so like you said everybody's kind of busy so well again thank you uh, so much thank you so much yeah, thanks man Thank you for listening to the Hashish Inn. If you like the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. Until next time.